Hello and welcome to You Uplifted Radiant Soul. I hope that you are having a beautiful day thus far. If you are a first-time listener, or even if you're not, You Uplifted is a place for open hearts and open minds to be able to come together and find and discover new ways in which to heal, grow, and fully step into their power and potential. And my name is Safa. I am your host. I am an intuitive healer, as well as a women's health and wellness life coach. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. Today's show is all about nonviolent communication with self and others. And I had the absolute joy of being joined via Zoom by the amazing Sylvia Haskvitz. And Sylvia is a certified trainer from CNVC since 1989. She's also a registered dietitian and nutritionist since 1983, and she's combined her passions of nonviolent communication and nutrition and created a beautiful book called Eat by Choice, Not by Habit, a nonviolent communication-based book. She is also a contributing author to Healing Our Planet, Healing Ourselves with the Chapter, enemy images based on her facilitation of a Bay Area dialogue group with Arabs and Jews. Sylvia travels the world facilitating and sharing nonviolent communication, creating a world of joyful giving and meeting needs in cooperation with others and not at their expense. As Dale Jones said, Sylvia cares about what goes into your mouth and what comes out of it. So I really, really think you're going to enjoy this conversation that we had. Again, Sylvia joined me via Zoom and her dog was a little vocal today. So excuse the couple of barks that you will hear here and there. And other than that, please enjoy this wonderful interview. Well, hello and welcome to our You Uplifted listeners and hello to my wonderful guest, Sylvia. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you for asking. I am well, thanks. and I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. It is such a joy and an honor to be able to have you on the show, really. I would love it if you could give our listeners a little bit about who you are and the work that you do. Sure. So I, um, I'm wondering where to start because it's been a, a journey for me as far as what I'm doing. But I, I work with the Center for Nonviolent Communication or Compassionate Communication. Some people are uncomfortable with the words nonviolent because they say I'm not violent and it doesn't speak to me. So this work is really about what we would consider violent is also when we shame or blame or criticize or even when we're silent when our feelings are stirred up. So I got excited about this work many years ago for lots of different reasons. Um, And then I went on to get a nutrition degree as well. So I've kind of combined both of these pieces of nutrition and nonviolent communication. Um, So, but that piece, the nonviolent communication piece, I think started when I was much, much younger. And for some, they believe that whatever you remember, the very first thing out of the box is kind of what you focus on in your life. And for me, it was my father going to the principal's office in my elementary school and demanding that my weekly reader be taken out of the basket because I forgot to put my name on it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my father did not do a great job of staying connected to the principal and trying to get what he wanted. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sylvia, I resonate so much with all of that because to me, I think nonviolent communication is something that I didn't get very well introduced to. And communication itself is always challenging for most of us, yes? I mean, we have ways in which we speak and ways in which we convey certain information to ourselves and to the people around us. But very often, just the words that we choose on the or the way in which we are phrasing them, because they can come from such a place of deep core wounding or story, can be a lot more volatile or a lot more intense, let's say, for those who are uncomfortable with the word 
violent than we might intend them to be. So that's the first thing that I love. And one of the things that really drew me to you and the work that you do, but also love the fact that you combine that with nutrition, because if there is one field and one aspect in which I can see that miscommunication or that breakdown of communication with self specifically with people is within the nutrition realm. We tend to be very aggressive in the words that we choose to use. We often label ourselves very aggressively as well. We don't necessarily treat ourselves with as much kindness and it becomes a very heavy burden to carry. Absolutely. And yeah, and the way we talk to ourselves is so key in how we treat not only ourselves, but then others as well. So, you know, how we talk to ourselves about food, how we talk to ourselves about our body, things that we repeat that we've heard that parents or grandparents or friends or well-meaning people that maybe said things like, you shouldn't eat that, you'll be fat. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you making that choice? Whatever such messages and how that goes in to our system and what we do to the, when we digest those, those words and what we then do with, with that information. So it's very tricky and it can be very complex. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything from the words that we choose and our relationship to them to the tone or the intention, the true intention behind them. Yeah, it's so complex. And I just love that you've been doing so much work on it. Um, for, for our listeners, would you be able to give us a bit of clarity in terms of what specifically nonviolent communication is? It's, it's really um, complex. And I just did a training, a nine-day training for people that are Um, wanting to be certified in this process. And we had an exercise on that. What is nonviolent communication? And probably for as many people as were at this training, 32, we'd probably come up with 32 different definitions. Um, One piece of mine, and I would say Marshall Rosenberg is the founder of this work. Um, And this work being, um, how do I speak my truth in cooperation with you, not at your expense? So how do I ask for my needs to matter in a way that's connecting to you and not seen as a burden. So how do you see my my requests as a request rather than a demand? How do you know that the giving I wanna give to you is coming from a joyful place? And I'd like to receive that back as well from you from a joyful place. So how do we connect back to kind of really how we started out in life, which is that place of natural giving and joyful giving. So that's one part of what nonviolent communication is. I also see it, not only as a language or tools to speak your truth and to listen with compassion, but really a consciousness in the way we choose to live our life. And what does that mean? It means that I really care that your needs matter like mine do. Again, I can't get my needs met at your expense, but how do I get my needs met in cooperation with you? How do I inspire cooperation rather than coercion or manipulation? Wow. Yeah. And crazy how we don't even notice that ourselves sometimes, you know, we may think that we are being very effective communicators and that we are being respectful of people's values and boundaries and emotions. But at the same time, not realize that what we've said because of the way in which it was presented or the words that were used could potentially trigger either an emotional based response from core wounding or story or could even be interpreted even on us in a subconscious level as manipulation right because i don't think that anyone sees himself or i would hope as a master manipulator but it happens and oftentimes we'll fall into that trap just by maybe bypassing what it is to have a communication that allows us to hold space for self and for others as well Absolutely. And that part that you talked about manipulation, that happens especially when I'm really wedded to getting what I want Mm. without caring about what somebody else wants. So if what I want is more important than the person in front of me, I don't, I want to be wedded to my needs, but not wedded to the strategies or the way to meet those needs. Wow. Yeah. And I can see that even, like I said, in terms of I'm bringing it back to the nutrition because it's something that you and I resonate very deeply with, but I can see that even in terms of how we relate to our 
nutrition and nourishment and food because we use that same tactic, so to speak, to manipulate ourselves, to put that goal above our own true needs and above our own true health. And we bypass all of that and bulldoze it and bully ourselves into trying to be or not be something because of this idea that we have in our minds about what is, let's say, perfection in terms of health and wellness. Yes? Absolutely. And I like that you're bringing it to that. And the, you know, the idea that you know, what we do, how we treat ourselves, it starts from an early age. And so those stories, those, you know, all of our histories, all of our woundings. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I would cut a tomato in the kitchen and my father would not like the way I cut the tomato. So I would hear it as criticism. He would mm-hmm. say, no, you don't do it that way. You do it this way. So again, seeing that there was a perfect way to cut a tomato and I wasn't doing it. So for many years, I didn't go in the kitchen. And what was sad for me learning much, much later is his desire was simply to help me because he found a a way that he thought was a better way to cut that tomato for more ease for myself. But I didn't hear that. I didn't get that that was his intention. I heard it as a criticism. And then I ran with that, with that story. Oh man, stories are something that I talk about with my clients all the time. And I've brought up on the show before because yeah, once our ego in the effort of trying to protect itself decides to create a story around something, man, it can really run with it for a very long time. And it becomes almost a backseat driver to our lives. Absolutely. And we think it's true because we don't check out our perception. Now, if I would have instead used this process that I learned much later in life of nonviolent communication, you know, dad, when you're telling me how you want me to cut the tomato, my interpretation is, is that you think I'm not doing it right or it's not good enough. Is that what you're intending? Mm -hmm. Now, if I would have said that to him, I would have learned at a very young age that no, he wanted to help me. He really wanted to contribute to my life. Yeah, like find the true intention behind the words. And effective communication is something that we struggle with so much as humans, right? We fall into those, I guess it's coming from a place of, and and let me know if you you agree or if you have a different take on this, but to me, it seems it's because we've each experienced the world uniquely and we have our own perspectives that are just uniquely tied to our own experiences and self. So the, we could be going through the same experience at the same time. We are each going to perceive that differently. And so when it comes to communication, what I see most often are two things. One is the internal narration, right? So in other words, I'm having a conversation with you, but in your head, you're already like two, three steps ahead of what I'm saying, because it's almost like playing chess. And then also the the change in perception. So if to me, saying the word love means something completely different than what it does to you, when I use that word to toward you, it's going to land completely different in your heart and in your mind and in your soul than it would uh, coming out of me. And so it's about listening, really, truly being present. And even, I would say, allowing ourselves to be in the space of looking for the intention much more so than the words themselves. Yeah, I would say the intention and also putting it back into nonviolent communication terms, I would say the feelings and needs. Because even though we believe that all humans have the same needs, is that different needs might be up based on our personality and based on our history and based on our stories. And so, you know, we could all be going through, like you said, the same experience, but we might have very different interpretations or different needs that arise based on that particular experience. So it's very individualistic, even though, you know, you can, you can see that in families all the time where people will say, gosh, those are my siblings, but they had a very different growing up than I did. Yeah. Why that happened? Well, to me, it's really clear. We have different personalities and different needs show up at different times. So it makes it all look very different. Mm -hmm, Certainly. And what would you say is probably the biggest misconception around your work? And also, it's kind of a twofold question for you. So you'll excuse the the double question. But uh, what would you say the biggest misconception is around the work? And what would be your probably your biggest lesson in terms of how nonviolent communication can serve us within our interpersonal relationships? Mm. 
So the biggest misconception, um, I would say, first of all, just the wording of it, because a lot of people, as you know, would hear um, violence and say, I'm not violent, so I don't need this work. Um, but I, when I think about, you know, really what this process is about, it's really a process of connection. And that's not, people aren't so clear about that initially. And what they learn is that um, when you start connecting more deeply with yourself and have a different quality of connection with yourself, then everything around you changes as well. So the way you treat yourself, the way you connect with others, it, excuse me, it's all part of that mix. So I would say that would be one misconception. Um, uh, biggest lesson, boy, there's been so many incredible lessons, but um, I would say one of, one of the stories that I'll tell that, um, that shines a light on what this process and work is about. Uh, years ago, I was living in the Bay Area, and there was a guy who was a monk who was moving to Jerusalem um, to do his work. And he had uh, dealt with some sexual abuse issues for many, many years. And he was a therapist himself, and he'd been to many, many therapists. And he came to this workshop, and Marshall, the founder of the work, ended up role-playing and played his mother. And we use uh, puppets in our work if they work. And we use the symbol of a giraffe as the largest heart of any land animal, or at least one of the largest. And so he played the mother as a giraffe, being able to speak to her, the son uh, with compassion and also listen to the son's pain with compassion. And then the son um, was able to role play and listen to the mother as well, what went on with her. And after about 45 minutes, this man was definitely a changed man. And what I really learned from that was when Marshall played the mother and when he was able to really be her and connect with the pain that the son went through. So often when we go through something and we somebody has a reaction to what we said or did, we apologize. That's that's the way we often do it in our culture. I'm really sorry. I'm mm -hmm. sorry that that hurt, or I'm sorry that I hurt you. Um, Nonviolent communication, I would say, we would say that's a little cheap. That's a little too easy. Mm -hmm. Because an apology just means I screwed up, I was bad, or I was wrong. So we can easily go into a shame cycle, or just thinking if I just apologize, now I can have some relief from the pain I feel because I didn't do it right. In mm -hmm. nonviolent communication, we look differently. We look at it as what was the impact of my behavior, my words, or my actions on the other? And it's not that I should have done something different. It's that once I know the impact on you, I would choose to do it differently. It's coming from a very different energy. There's not a should or a have to or a must or I'm going to pay for it if I don't but it's, I choose to do this differently because I can see how what my actions did and the needs I were trying to meet, it would be way less costly and way more connecting and serve life if I did it in this other way. Yeah, I'm taking a moment to process that because to me, one of the most interesting aspects of this word is that this work that you do is that it is twofold. It can go directly into our interpersonal relationships, like we've been talking about a little bit here, and it can go very internal. So even in the way in which we approach ourselves, like I said, there's a very heavy tendency, I think, for us as humans to fall into that shame and guilt cycle that you were speaking of. And I think that we do it almost as, as a self-martyrizing tool. It seems like it becomes the thing that we use to make ourselves either go harder, be better, or make ourselves go further into a cycle of, of negativity or so many different things. But it does seem like we utilize it as a we, we weaponize it against ourselves. And for you to, to speak directly about that and in, in, in terms of saying, oh, I'm sorry, because we even do it to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just so poignant for me because it really delineates how that can make a difference in the way in which we relate, not just to the people around us, but to ourselves. And to see that, wow, there was a, not just a miscommunication, but potentially a slight disconnect or a violation of trust here between the parties, yourself only, or the, the people around you included. 
And how can we then best serve that so that that wound actually can properly heal? So to me, it's very akin to the idea of not just being forced to let it go, because I still say that that's very dismissive, but to embrace what's happened and to move through it so that there can be healing. I like that very much. Yeah, because so many times, you know, people move to the forgiveness or they move to wanting to get through it, but... Um, but without really processing what's happening. So I'm, I'm really with you with that. And the internal process of that, you know, how do I translate some of those should, should haves or could haves or would haves into what were my needs? You know, I obviously made that choice for a very good reason, whatever it was. And so there were some needs present, but now when I see the impact, let's say if it was internally, wow, I made that choice, but now I see the impact on my body and I have some regrets. And I'm also acknowledging that in that moment, that was the best choice that I could make. I really chose that for a reason. And I'm really honoring myself for making that choice. And now I have some regrets. And because I have regrets, I also know I'm human and humans make mistakes and they do things that they wish they wouldn't have when they learn better something different. So how do I acknowledge that and, and find space for that, for that mm -hmm. sense of forgiveness or that sense of spaciousness in me being human? Yeah, yeah, and the capacity to realize and honor the fact that the choices that we make don't make us bad or good, but that they are choices that have their following actions, let's call them, instead of calling them consequences. Mm. And that that is actually serving us, that that is something that is going to allow us to see something old in a new way or something new from a different perspective. So that, yeah, I fully resonate with, with, with what you've, you, you've just said. And the words, Sylvia, because to me, one of the biggest things that I find in my life, and I use it a lot in this podcast as well, and with my clients and with my work, is that words themselves are very, very powerful. I always say there's a reason why it's called spelling. You are essentially creating something. It's almost like you're casting a spell, just like a witch would. You know, you're spelling something into creation. You're spelling something into being by choosing specific words. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes we utilize words that we think are going to serve a higher purpose, but carry a very negative connotation to them or a very negative vibration to them and how they affect our, our own self-communication with self again and with the people around us. Do you see a lot of that in your own work? And what would be your advice in terms of better uh, equipping ourselves to find words that are going to be more uplifting? I like, the, I like that message about the spelling. Well, one thing I, I, I sense in our culture is that people are less connected to what's really alive in them. So what's really happening in me? You know, when we say to somebody, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Fine. It's not very colorful and it's not very accurate. And so for me, part of it is where can we, how can we expand our feeling and need vocabulary? vocabulary so we can actually bring life to what's happening inside of us because um, one of the one of the funny things was there was a workshop years ago um, and Marshall was giving it and a woman from Argentina had come to the workshop and when he was going through the list of feelings there's a whole list here of, of feelings and needs she was writing voraciously and he said I was so curious what were you doing when you were writing I noticed your you were, your pen was going a mile a minute. And she said, well, you help solve a mystery for me because I live part-time in the U.S. and part-time in Argentina. And when I'm in Argentina, I feel so alive inside. And in America, I feel so dead because for every one word you had in a feeling word, we have about 50. Mm -hmm. And so I sense that that's kind of how we live. We live a bit more deadened. So we're not as connected with what are our feelings and what's there's many so many nuances and so much beauty to how the feelings that are alive in us and also the needs that they connect to so when we get more tuned into those i find that the possibilities of how we share ourselves and we share our vulnerability become so much more connecting both to ourselves and to others so that's one piece that i would really want to say and as far as the weaving the weaving of words there um, again, I would go back to intention because we can say those same words with different intention and they come out so differently. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So if I go into any conversation and I think my intention is to uplift and to be uplifted. If I go into a conversation like that, I'm going to come out with a very different outcome than if I hold something very different in the story I'm telling myself or the intention that I have. So for me, that's a really key piece in how I deal with anything, both within myself and with others. What's my hope and dream here? Oh my gosh. Yes. So much to that. And the first, I I will say that as a Mexican person, I can completely resonate with that because yes, I feel like we have a a cornucopia of words, if you would, right? In Spanish that we kind of lack a bit when we translate to English. So to me, that was such a culture shock when I moved to the United States because I was trying to find words to properly express how I was feeling and express how I was connecting to the world and the people around me and I would come short so that I totally relate to that and then also would you mind uh, maybe giving us a bit of an example or going a little bit deeper into the idea of connecting to those needs and feelings Sure. So examples of needs, and if we, if we continue on the frame of kind of internal, you know, let's say I really have a need for belonging. That's really important to me. And so there might be many different feelings come up. Let's say um, there was a wedding in a fam- of a family member, and I didn't receive an invitation. Now, I might feel really sad if I really wanted to be invited, and I really enjoyed this person, And I started feeling sad and started wondering why my connection was different than, let's say, my sister's or my other cousin Mm -hmm. and why I didn't receive an invitation. So my sense, my need for belonging might be really up or my my need for understanding might be up. I want to try to make sense of my world, what happened there, my need for connection. Mm -hmm. And so I can go deeper into what what's going on for me and then I can also put it into what was the observation? Well, the observation was it's my cousin's wedding and my sister was invited and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And how I feel about it, let's say there's another scenario there, that same observation, but let's say I didn't really enjoy this cousin all that much and I didn't have all that much money and I'm thinking, oh shoot, if I get invited, that means I'm going to have to buy a present. And I don't really want to spend money at the moment in that way. So I might have been happy. And then my needs for um, maybe some spaciousness would be met. Mm -hmm. Or maybe my need for my own sense of um, choice would be met. So there's lots of possibilities. And it's really about what your needs are connected to anything that happens. That really determines the outcome. Certainly. And it's that continuous practice of awareness, right? That is so paramount, but also shifty in terms of that it changes. You think you've got it figured out one day and you know all there is to know about yourself and you embrace yourself and you're feeling great about everything. And then it changes because one thing has come from a different perspective or you maybe did the work, but the work that led you into that space of shadow now has continued and that particular space needs to now be healed from a different point and so on and so forth. (laughs) Absolutely. We're never done, are we? It's always a constant learning from day one till the end. Yeah. 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 Which, you know what, sometimes it feels a little bit overwhelming and, and I've had these moments myself where I just kind of stop and look up and go, really? Can we just take a break, do something silly, just unplug and be bleh for like a second. But the truth is, is the fact that we have the ability and the blessing to go into that work continuously allows us to further evolve and grow. And I think that that is very key to helping each other grow and heal and hopefully evolve and maybe not evolve in the way that we've we've gotten used to hearing it a lot but I just mean transcend the old patterns that have kept us so stuck that have caused so much pain and so much disconnect and so much distance between between each other and between ourselves absolutely yeah And yeah, and that's why I find tools so helpful, you know, to find some tools of support because we do get into this habit, these habitual habits, and that's why they're called habits. And we just keep doing them over and over again. And then we realize, wow, that's really not working for me anymore. And it might be comfortable because I know it, 
Mm -hmm. and that's a habit that I'd really love to do differently. And like you said, uh, every time I went to a different nonviolent communication workshop, I would learn something new, even if it was an introductory workshop. And I probably went to 150 of them because I was ready to take a new piece or a different piece that I might've heard before and it never went in. And so now I was ready to sort of heal or connect with that part of what was going on. So um, yeah, there's, you know, and sometimes people will say, I read your book and it was about sugar addiction. And I'm thinking, well, that's not what I wrote, but I'm glad that it got, you know, got something <laughs> from it in that way. So, so I think we're always, we're always hearing things in different ways based on where our, we are learning wise. Oh, yes, 100%. It's all about that perspective and the, uh, let's say, shade of rose-colored glasses that we are wearing at that point in time, whenever we are either conversing or reading or watching, whatever it is that we are. Often, too, I think that's one of the reasons why we find the frustration as either teachers or parents or um, figures of authority who are trying to impart some wisdom with someone and you'll say specific things in order to really shed some light into the dark and then that may go in one ear and out the other right for the person and not land but the seedling is there mm -hmm. and what surprises you is either the message has been perceived from a completely unique and maybe slightly seemingly distant point of view or it has now been perceived from someone else. Has that ever happened to you where you're like, oh, this is what I'm teaching. And then the people you were teaching it to didn't get it, but they heard the exact same thing from someone else. And then that's when the bell's kind of rung. <laughs> Absolutely. So sometimes we need to hear something similar or something the same and from a different angle or a different person. And, and sometimes we're just not ready. And maybe the message, like you said, went in. I had somebody who came to a workshop I did once. It was a workshop for siblings and probably 10 or 15 years after the workshop was over she sent me an email and said you probably don't remember me which who I and I didn't but she said what happened in that workshop was life-changing in my relationship with my father just recently so even though the workshop was 10 or 15 years before somewhere she got it wow Oh, that's beautiful. And I think that that's important also to remember that each of us, even if we're not in a teacher-based or authoritative-based authoritative position, each of us has an impact on everybody else. And hopefully we're making that impact a good one. <laughs> you know, we're trying to spread some light and some love for sure. And internally, Sylvia, again, I'm going to bring it back to the self because I do think, and it's, it's probably from the things that I've lived in my own life. But my perception is if we can do the internal work and start with self first, then we are more adept or more able to go with others and do the same type of work. So for me, when it comes to nonviolent communication, as I said earlier in the show, one of the key elements that I see and one of the key things that I come across or think about is the fact that we so very often bully ourselves into submission almost or into a place of shame and guilt so that we can fulfill uh, I'm not even sure what to call it a self disconnecting expectation and maybe fulfill that same mm. um, and we have a tendency to be so so mean to ourselves I always say you would never speak to yourself the same way that you speak to the people that you care about mm -hmm. And in terms of that, in terms of our internal communication, what do you think are some tools or some techniques that we can use to shift the dynamic a little bit so that it's much more or less self-deprecating and self-aggressive, let's say, and maybe grow into something much more creative and healing? Mm, I like the question. You know, one of the things, and I can't remember how many times, but I remember hearing recently that the amount of thoughts we have per day, it's just astronomical. I mean, we just were constantly thinking. So, and, and so what you're saying is that a lot of those thoughts really aren't, um, they're not life-serving for our well-being, mm -hmm. the way that we talk to ourselves. Um, so one suggestion that I, that I have, and I work with people that want to become certified trainers in this process, is um, it's how they live nonviolent communication internally. And one of the ways I have them share with me how they do that is I'll have them write down some of what we call their jackal thoughts. So the thoughts that are critical thoughts, 
the ones that are not very life-serving, sort of life alienating, the, the critical messages. And they'll write those down on one side of their notepad and then they'll giraffize them or they'll give them compassion. So it might be, God, I can't believe you just said that. What were you thinking? That might be the jackal part. And so they would giraffe it by saying what the feelings and needs. So they might say, so were you really wanting were you really wanting connection with this person? And the way that you just responded, you're imagining wasn't gonna lead you to that. Okay, so we just translate whatever thought it was into a compassionate thought. So that people can start realizing that what you're saying, the way that people are treating themselves, how can we start bringing that compassion inside? How do we start living this process of compassion within ourselves first? By starting to notice, to just bring awareness to our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Step one, I think, is always becoming the gentle observer and holding very sacred, very grace-filled space for yourself. And then continuing to choose. You can choose to move in either direction. As, and as, I, as I said earlier, it neither makes you good or bad. It just means you're making those choices. And, and all of those choices have branches that are going to stem from that tree so to speak and that's still a valuable lesson for us and it's still a place to grow and yeah I I like that the idea of (laughs) jerifying something and turning it much more kind more loving much more heart centric so that it stops being quite so voracious or quite so ready to be at the defensive because I think that that's the other part of this is I believe there's a natural tendency to want to stay away from vulnerability as much as possible because it makes us feel so open and the need to shield up all the time and so what that does is it colors the intent of others according to our own walls. So it kind of obstructs communication in that way, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's, you're bringing up a lot of interesting points. You know, that whole piece about vulnerability. So we, we try to protect ourselves from being vulnerable and yet vulnerability is what leads to connection. So mm-hmm. connection with ourself, connection with others. So being vulnerable and really connecting with, you know, what is going on with me? what's happening inside and what am I telling myself about what's happening inside? And then, you know, some of it also seems to me to come from family members where they tell us something and we somehow believe it from the past. So Mm -hmm. if somebody tells us something and there's some part of us that says, yes, that's true about us, then we can even have it a sort of a double whammy. We've heard it from the outside and now we're internalizing and saying that must be true because my mother, brother, somebody that I care about said that about me. Mm -hmm. And so how do I take that, their belief, and how do I just connect again to what's important to me? What's going on in me and holding on to that? Where does that, what does that do for me? Why need in, in holding that belief or that information? Yeah, and interesting because what it does, it's a coveting or a hoarding of a negative energy because at the end of the day we treasure it almost we believe that that particular pattern has matter we've assigned matter to it because of xyz and then through that matter designation we've then made that so centric that we like i said we almost over protect and really try to keep that guarded as if it was the most sacred possession we own when all the while it's actually really heavily weighing us down and hurting us. Mm, Absolutely. So, but there is in, in this process that I work with, we say that everything we do is in the strategy to meet a need. So even when I beat myself up, there's a need I'm trying to meet there, even though it's probably not the strategy I'm using probably isn't serving me so well. Mm-hmm. But there is a need that I'm serving. So when I beat myself up, is that a way to protect myself from other pain? Or is there something else that it's serving that I might be want to explore and bring my awareness and attention to? Completely. Because I think a lot of us too can use that sometimes as a motivator. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it maybe depends on how, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm sort of thinking and, and feeling into this space right now. Maybe it has something to do with our upbringing and some of the core woundings that we found there. And the fact that we felt way much more action driven when specific words were used or specific level of energies were used. So, and, and I'm in that headspace, I think, because we've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary. (laughs) And I find that I, I see that in him where there's that drive whenever something needed to be extra from him, whenever he needed to go the extra mile or keep going, or he was feeling down. It seemed like he pulled from that kind of place. You see what I'm saying? He pulled from that moment of, (laughs) <laughs> almost uh, this is this is where I'm at right now and in that space what I need to do to kind of fulfill is step up to the plate and then overachieve or go beyond that so that I can knock this out of the park and that seems to be the motivator a lot yeah so somehow almost like going into himself and finding that um what would it be called the resources or the reserves yeah there you go mm-hmm Mm-hmm. he didn't think maybe he had it in him and so yeah going that extra mile or even just saying okay so there is something life-serving about what I'm doing even though maybe the way I'm doing it is really not working well what is that can I connect with that to kind of bring myself to a place of understanding and then I have more choice in what I want to do next yeah, interesting. Very interesting. And that's, again, we, we bring that back to all aspects of self in terms of how we even relate to our food and the people around us. Because, you know, to bring it back to that place of nutrition again, and maybe go a little bit into the work that you address in your book. I think it's also that space of pulling out of the old paradigms of being so rigid that we put ourselves in the, let's call it just specifically since we're talking about nutrition now, the diet world, right? The diet frenzy to something that's going to be much more fulfilling, but that we still are aware that, Hey, this need is here. So how can I then fulfill this and satisfy this? Or why is this here? Can I observe it and give it space and time and grow through that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right now I think this is so up for people because you know we're dealing with virus stuff and what do they call it? The COVID fifteen, somebody called it. So the fifteen pounds people are putting on, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, being in their houses and being in this situation. So, yeah, how do I bring consciousness to everything in life, including things like food? And how, how when I then connect with what's happening inside of me and are more aware of that, and I'm also more aware of what I'm wanting to do next. And so is that, you know, eating that next brownie or is it going for a walk with my dog or Mm -hmm. what exactly would be bringing me some joy and connection and fulfillment in this moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's helping. Yeah. yeah, It's like finding self-affirming and, and very uplifting work within yourself and giving yourself the grace to acknowledge that sometimes that really does mean, staying in bed a little bit longer or having that extra cookie. Sometimes not. And sometimes that's driven by something deeper. And if you're brave and willing and vulnerable enough to explore it at that time, great. If not, then great. You know, fantastic either way. Yes. Yeah. One of my, um, one of my buddies, Katie Byrne, who's in Sonoma County, California, she, um, she had an epiphany standing in her refrigerator once it's, you know, and she, she realized that Um, she sort of heard the child in her as she was opening the refrigerator and knew she wasn't hungry. And she could hear that inner child saying, honey, what is it that you're wanting? I'll give you anything you want. What is it that you're wanting? And, and she would say, I want more cookies. I want more cake. I want, she goes, I will give that to you. Tell me more. And she just kept really listening to what was happening inside of her until the little child broke down and said, I just want love. Oh, and she said, yeah, and I'm sad. I'm not sure you're going to find it in the refrigerator. Oh, my God. I love that story so much. Oh, yeah. we Because we all have that part of ourselves. And that is, again, one of those things that I'm constantly looking at with my clients. 
because, and within myself, because inner child work is so important and it can be so transformative and you do discover those things, you know, not to take it too far off course, but I had a very interesting experience at the beginning of the year where a situation was presenting itself and I caught myself in story and also in what I thought was very deep anger. And I felt very off. I felt very like not myself. So I remember pausing, going into my little yoga room and sitting down and asking my, like with my younger child, asking what's really going on. And we had a very earnest conversation and she finally, same, she finally broke down and said, I feel betrayed or I feel lost. I want this. I want affirmation. I want love. And I just remember having like a very in-depth conversation with her about, well, honey, hold on a second. This is where you are. You are worthy. You are important. You are loved. You are safe. You are secure. And you're going to see so much light at the end of it. And it, it changed things. Not that I was able to move completely out of the, what I thought was anger, which was really grief mm-hmm. entirely like in a second, because that's not how inner work works. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that it, it allowed me the opportunity to grow and to plant little seedlings that then, as time has been moving on, have been releasing. Yay. So you kind of were supported in peeling some of the layers of some of that pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that that's a lot of the inner work. You know, that's a lot of the the presence that we have to do. And in terms of communication, Sylvia, because we're getting close to time here, but let me ask you, because as I said, I do think we struggle with communicating with others effectively. Part of it is because we do have those shields up. Part of it is because we are not present (laughs) enough to really be listening to and hearing the people around us. And I'm sure there are many other reasons why that, that lack of communication is there, but what would be some effective tools, something that wouldn't be too complicated for us to try in terms of communicating with someone when we are feeling very unheard? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the need I'm hearing is to be heard. And how do I bring that more to me? And part of what I would say is we want to speak in a way that makes it the easiest for somebody to hear us. Because often we use more words than people can take in. Mm -hmm. And people, uh, either they are good jackals and they say, "Uh uh-huh, 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 but they're not off in vacation land in Hawaii in their brains. <laughs> so one is that we can honor people by speaking in fewer words and being clear on what we're saying, and then also being really clear on what request we have back. So it might be, gosh, I'm really confused about what's going on in me right now. I'd love to vent for five minutes. Are you open to listening to me for those five minutes and then telling me in your own words what a horrible day I had? That's a way that I can be really clear and concise about what's going on. And then the person knows how long they're going to be listening and then exactly what they need to do in the way that they listen. Wow. Oh, that's powerful. That is really, I mean, especially take it from someone who's incredibly verbose. (laughs) I think that that is, wow, that is incredible, Sylvia. Yes. So one of the things we talk about in this work is we want to use 40 words or fewer before we connect back with the person. And we want to do that, not that we're going to count the words, but it's really to say, how can I make my message succinct and clear and then ask back so that I know that I'm still connected to the person in front of me. And so that's a really, that's a really key tool. So I would say if you're clear on your feelings and needs and then put out a clear request, it'll make it much easier for somebody to stay present with you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Awesome. Sylvia, thank you so much. And before I let you go, two questions. One is what last words or advice can you leave the listeners with so that they can go into the rest of the week feeling uplifted and empowered? And the other is just going to be where they can find you and support you. Mm, sweet. Well, I would say, you know, if nothing else, um, I think what we can do for ourselves and for each other and for the planet right now is to have compassion for yourself and each other. You know, we're all going through a lot right now. 
in so many different ways. So really offering some compassion for yourself. And we can even use these same tools we just used for ourselves. And it might sound something like this. Wow, I know that life right now is challenging in so many ways. And I feel some sadness. I feel some grief. And I want to stay connected to my own sense of heart and well-being. And so in this moment, I'm requesting of myself that I refrain from words that don't support my self-connection, that don't treat me in a way that I would enjoy being treated. So that might be my request of myself. Um, you, can find, you can find more information about nonviolent communication if you Google it, or if you go to cnbc.org is the international website. I'm one of about 700 trainers, and we're in, I think, 65 countries. You can also find me at NVC, Nonviolent Communication, NVC CAF, C-A-L-F, that's a baby giraffe.com. There is information there as well. Those are two places um, that you'd likely find other possibilities of learning and growing. Oh, awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of your time and sharing this beautiful, beautiful knowledge with all of us. And I hope to have you back on the show sometime soon. Thank you so much. Safa, it's been a pleasure and it's, I'm really excited about what you're doing and what you're sharing. It was really fun to play with you. Oh, you too. Thank you, Sylvia. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for today's episode of You Uplifted. I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed it. I certainly had a lot of new insights that came from it, so it was an absolute pleasure. And if you have any questions about what you heard on the show today, or if you want me to talk more about something specific, please email me info at nourishingpaths.com. And yes, there is an S at the end of that paths. Also, you know that you can find me on Instagram at nourishing underscore paths. And please leave a comment and a review for the show and share the love. And I will talk to you guys next week. 